I want to invite you to join us for a very special Passion Week program. We will take you to the very last days of Jesus here in Jerusalem. You will be joining us on the Mount of Olives where Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem. We will take you to Gethsemane where Jesus was interceding with the Father. And then we will take you to Herod's palace where Jesus was tried. We will come here close to this area where Jesus died for the sins of the world. And then we will finish here at the garden tomb where Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered death forever. It will be an exciting program. You don't want to miss it. I look forward to seeing you. Welcome to the ICJ Bible Teaching Webinar today. Our theme today is the resurrection and the first fruits. Um, if you are new to our webinar or new to the ICJ, want to know more about us, please visit our website, icj.org, and you can learn all about our activities and our teaching materials are right there for you to bless you and so you can be a blessing uh, to Israel. Once again, also, as you saw in our promo for the Passion Week, this has been a great blessing already to many around the world. We have more than 10,000 people joining us from all over the world in this week's um, Passion Week. It's a five-part series, and we're right in the middle of it now with the third part being released today called The Trial of Jesus from Herod's Palace, which is the Tower of David in Israel on site. And this is a, a, will be a big blessing for you during this week as we're getting ready to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ this weekend. So please join us. You can, if you want to know how to get to these videos, it's on our YouTube channel. Some of them will be on Facebook or just go to our website called icj.org. And also if you need um, uh, interpretation, we have a couple of languages available on the Zoom call and for you, um, it's in Portuguese and Spanish. Just click on the interpretation button down and uh, you can also then you can hear in Portuguese and Spanish and tell your friends, those that don't speak English, but in these languages, tell them to join us today. It's going to be a great blessing for you. Our Bible teaching um, theme today is the resurrection and first fruits. And if you have some questions that you want to ask us during the meeting, just write them down in Zoom. And if time permits, we would love to answer some of these questions that you might have. Um, but let me um, introduce our speaker today. Our speaker today is um, the ICJ president, Dr. Jurgen Bieler. He's been the president for over 10 years and has been with the ICJ for over 20 years. He lives in Jerusalem with his family for the last um, over 25 years and has been um, traveling the world teaching about Israel and really, really has unique insights on this um, topic um, of Israel and the Bible. And um, he's passionate today in teaching about the resurrection and first fruits. So welcome, um, Jürgen. It's great having you with us. Of course, um, you're very familiar to everybody. But those that are new, now you know who um, the president of the ICJ is. And please, I'll give it over to you, Jürgen. We're looking forward to a wonderful Bible teaching. Well, thank you so much, David. It's uh, always a uh, 
blessing and a privilege to, to teach the Word of God and in particular on such a special holiday uh, that we are entering now, the, the Passion of Jesus, uh, His death and resurrection. And um, I believe it's uh, the most important theme in the Bible that we need to understand and that is essential for us because on those holidays our salvation hinges in many ways because if Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross for us, uh, we wouldn't be gathered here today. And also we have to realize very importantly that if Jesus would not have been resurrected from the dead, uh, also we wouldn't be uh, joining us together from different nations and sharing the word of God. Now last week you heard uh, uh, the first part of this session and it was done by Malcolm Heading where you got an excellent teaching on the cross and the suffering of Jesus and what it means for us today. And today in a way it's part two of the same packet, package of the uh, Passion Week celebration. Now I would like to start reading um, from the, the Gospel of John. And I just would like to give you one verse. Oops, as I'm punching my keyboard here. I hope you don't hear that. But um, in, the, in, in chapter John, verse 20, we read here now, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And Mary stood weeping, and continuing, continuing on verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb as she, as she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels while sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And they said to them, they have taken, she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I did not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardeners, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me, where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means Jesus. Allow me to pray with us uh, briefly that the, world will, the Lord will bless his word to our hearts and also that he will give me uh, the, the gift and ability to share what is on his heart for this teaching today. Father, I want to dedicate this uh, next minutes to you that you um, anoint my lip to share whatever is on your heart for this important day. And I ask you also that you anoint the ears of everybody who is listening today to understand what your spirit wants to tell us today on this um, Easter week as we gather together. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. 
Now, um, David was uh, like many of us many, many times at the Garden Tomb, and uh, one of the series that we have for the for the Passion Week um, is we do two two sets out of the Garden Tomb. We don't know really if this was the tomb or not, but every year millions of believers come to that tomb um, in order to commemorate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's no better place in all of Jerusalem to see that uh, how it might have looked like when Jesus rose from the dead. It's a beautiful uh, tomb in the garden. And this is how it must have looked very similar to when Mary Magdalene arrived at the tomb on that particular day. The Word of God tells us that it was the first day of the week. And in a second we will see how important in the Bible this first day of the week is. And she was arriving that morning at the tomb and we read it from another gospel that uh, her main concern that morning was not did Jesus rise from the dead, but her main concern was who is going to roll away the stone that I can take care of the dead body of Jesus. And uh, there was no hope and no expectation very much in Mary Magdalene's life. On the contrary, we see she was weeping. It's repeated twice that she was confronted. Why are you weeping? And she was in a state of desperation. And um, I'm sometimes marveled why from all the people, from all the disciples that Jesus had, from all the followers of Yeshua, why was it Mary Magdalene that became the central person of the resurrection story of Jesus? And I believe it is the Gospel of Mark which gives us an explanation why it was this particular woman that maybe was more desperate on that morning to seek the, the tomb of Jesus than any other person at that time. In the Gospel of Mark we read that it was this Mary Magdalene out of whom he was casting out six demons. And we can only imagine what those six demons represented in her life. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it might have been demons of depression. It might have been demons of, uh, um, of fearfulness. It might have been demons of lust and adultery. It might have been demons of hidden uh, addiction or even open addictions. We don't know it, but it were six demons that made her life literally to hell. And when Jesus encountered this Mary Magdalene, he was casting out these demons. And for Mary Magdalene, a whole new chapter of her life started, a chapter of freedom, of deliverance, where suddenly the joy of the Lord of his redemption was filling her heart. And I can only imagine how it was for Mary Magdalene, who received such an incredible deliverance by the hands of Yeshua, when she saw this Jesus hanging at the cross, looking so hopeless, looking defeated for everybody. And I believe a deep fear entered into the heart of Mary Magdalene that she probably thought over those three days before, between the crucifixion and resurrection, what about her life now? What about the salvation, about this great deliverance that she experienced? Will those demons maybe now come back? Was it just a short episode of a false, short-lived hope that gave her this freedom in her life? 
Obost is really something that would last. And I believe Mary Magdalene, maybe from all the women and all the followers of Yeshua, was the most desperate of all of them. The disciples, they could go back to Galilee. They could start back in their fishing business. But for Mary Magdalene, she understood going back to the life before Jesus, it would mean for her literally going back to life. And we come back to the scene of Mary, Mary Magdalene uh, at the end of our, our session today. And we will see what uh, this first day of the week also meant for her. But it's quite remarkable, not only in John, but in every gospel, it is specifically referred that it was the first day of the week when Mary Magdalene or the woman arrived on that morning at the tomb. And well, the Bible says that on the first day of the week, the Lord was resurrected from the dead. We need to understand when we speak about uh, the Passover week or the Passion Week of Jesus, that uh, number one, Jesus fulfilled uh, during those days in its perfection the Jewish feasts and traditions that were existing at that time. And we need to understand there are for the spring season, for the beginning of the year, and if you have been in one of our earlier seminars, you have heard that um, in the book of Exodus, and I believe we spoke about it in our Rosh Chodesh, prayer gathering that uh, the, the beginning of the month of Nisan, it is the beginning of the spiritual year also in Israel. And um, what followed is on the 15th day, um, a, a feast starts that is called a Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that means the whole people of Israel needed to take all the leaven out from their houses and for the entire week of Passover, um, no leaven was to be found in any house of Israel. So that's the first feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The second feast is the Feast of Passover. And we all understand and we know the story of Passover, that uh, a lamb was to be slaughtered. It commemorated the exodus of Egypt. We just had a Passover Seder in our house a few days ago with close to 20 people there. And uh, the blood of the lamb was being sprinkled on the doorposts and a deliverance brought, was brought forth for Israel. We also know that John the Baptist declared, oh Jesus, when he saw him at the river of Jordan, when he shouted out, behold the lamb of God that carried away the sins of the world, he was referring to Jesus as the Passover lamb. It would be slaughtered for mankind. And on that afternoon, in the, on, the, on Erev Pesach, when in the afternoon all the, the Passover lambs were slaughtered in the temple, it was exactly at that hour when Jesus died at the cross in Jerusalem on Calvary for the sins of mankind. It was fulfilled perfectly. He was the perfect, sinless, unleavened Lamb of God that was slaughtered for human mankind on that day. But there is another feast that is celebrated in that week and that is many times ignored when we speak about the Passion Week of Jesus. And we read about this in Leviticus chapter 23, and I'm reading from verse 9 onwards. And the Lord, if you read Leviticus chapter 3, it is the chapter that speaks about the feasts of the Lord. It starts in the beginning with Shabbat, 
Then it deals with the Passover and the unleavened bread. And then it continues in verse 9 in the following way. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And I read this last verse again. You shall wave the sheaf. It's the sheaf of the first fruit before the Lord that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And then I would like to uh, read also verse 15. And you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering and after 50 days then he speaks about the feast of pentecost but what many people don't or understand or don't uh, are not aware of that this resurrection sunday the first day of the week uh, sunday in israel it is called yom rishon the first day of the week so Jesus rose on the first day of the week. This was not an ordinary time, but during that Passover week, on the first day of the week, within the Passover week, something very special was taking place in the temple. The priest would take a sheaf of first fruits. And that means a first fruit. This did not uh, signify the harvest yet, but these were just fresh seedlings that were planted on the fields of Israel. And as we are driving today down to Tel Aviv from Jerusalem, we see on many of the fields the first grain growing up. It is still very green, but they were taking some of those green leaves or those um, branches of the harvest of barley and wheat harvest and they would bring it to the temple and they would wave it before the Lord, uh, before the Lord as a wave offering of the first fruit of the harvest. It was not a harvest that could be consumed yet, but in a way it represented the entire harvest that would be brought to the Lord in the rest of the year. So in a way, as they entered into the temple, and we will see this later from the word of God, they were dedicating the entire harvest of Israel to the Lord. And um, the Bible speaks uh, quite a lot about the first fruits. And um, in particular, also in regard to the resurrection of Jesus. If you follow with me to the book of Corinthians, uh, in chapter 15, the first book of Corinthians in chapter 15, I recommend you, if you have time on Resurrection Sunday, to study the entire chapter 15. It's a relative long chapter, at least for the New Testament, but it is solely dedicated to the resurrection of Jesus. And I would encourage you to use that Sunday to study the entire chapter. But here Paul says, but in fact, verse 20, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. 
each according to his order. Christ, the first fruit, and then at his coming, all those who belong to Christ. And it's exactly here what, what, what we read from the Apostle Paul, where he makes this parallel between the resurrection of Jesus and the feast of first fruit in the Bible. And before we come back to this parallel that Paul, that, uh, Paul establishes here in the Bible, in the first book of Corinthians, and we will see later on also, it appears in the book of Romans and the book of Colossians and in the book of Revelations. So we will look at those passages, but let us first look what was this feast of the first fruit in the Bible. Um, let us go through the different passages that speak about first fruit, and I cannot read because of the time all the passages there, I believe I found more than 70 passages that relate to the firstborn or the first fruit in the Bible. But I would like to read those passages to you that I believe represent certain principles that are connected with this feast of first fruit. If you go with me to Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, and everybody who is listening, I do recommend you that you grab a pen and a paper that you take down there, the passages. We will go through quite a number of them this uh, morning or afternoon or evening, uh, whatever the time might be for you. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, we do read the, the following. The best of the first fruit of your crown you shall bring into the house of the Lord. And um, there is a correlation of two words in regard to, or one particular word in regard to the word of first fruit, and this is the word best. In Jewish tradition, and you find this also in rabbinical uh, literature, they say the first fruit offerings always represented the best that somebody could give to the Lord. It is the first thing that you are giving to the Lord. And you find this also in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 17, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 17. We read the following. It's referring here to Joseph and the calling that Moses places on Joseph. And he says, Joseph is a first, firstborn bull. He has majesty and his horns are the, whole, the horns of a wild ox. With him shall go, shall go the peoples and all of the ends of the earth. It says, speaks here about the firstborn bull and his majesty. So the firstborn and the first fruits, they represent the best, the majesty of what anybody could give to the Lord. Secondly, in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11, um, it is the chapter that speaks, or the chapters, we have to say, that speaks about uh, the officiation of sacrifices in the temple. And um, uh, we don't go into all those details, but there is one offering that I would like to highlight you, and this is the first fruit offering. Now, in verse 11, chapter, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11, we read, No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn the leaven, nor you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you might bring them to the Lord, but you shall not be 
they shall not be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt, and you shall not let the salt of the covenant which you got with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer it with salt. So it says the grain offering shall be represented as an offering of the first fruit. It needed to be salted and it was a sacrifice of fire. Now a sacrifice of fire, unlike the other sacrifices of meat or most of the sacrifices of meat, they were brought on the altar, but they were not completely burned, but they were, were brought there. They were, you could say they were roasted on the altar, and then the people who brought the sacrifice, they were eating those sacrifices in the presence of the Lord. But here the word of God says, this shall not be done with the first fruit offering. It shall be salted with the salt of the covenant, and it shall be burned completely on the altar. And in other words, what you could say, it, it represents a sacrifice of dedication. So we have learned two important things. It says the Lord wants the best of our lives, and we want, he wants us to give it completely to him at his uh, disposals. In Numbers chapter 18, verse 12, I'm not going to read it, but there are quite a number of passages like that in the five books of Moses. It's explicitly written there that those gifts of the first fruit shall be given as a special sacrifice to the priests and to the, to the Levites. And um, um, there is another principle that you find in this first fruit sacrifice, and this is a blessing of the Lord that he will place upon that uh, offering. It's quite a remarkable story in the second book of Kings, chapter 4. It is the story of Elisha the prophet. Elisha the prophet is visiting a school of prophets, and then we read there the following uh, story in second uh, the book in the second book of Kings chapter four verse forty two um, we read the following a man came from Baal Hashlisha bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits now you see here it's the same principle that I just mentioned from Numbers eighteen verse twelve he was bringing the first fruits to the man of God. 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, and this is now in the school of prophet, give this to the man that they may eat. But his servant said to him, how can I set it before a hundred men? So he repeated, give it to the man so that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and even have some left. So he set it before them and they ate it and they had some left according to the word of the Lord. So it's quite amazing. This man from uh, Shilisha, uh, Gata Shilisha, was coming to Elisha, was bringing his first fruits offering to him. And what is amazing that the Lord used this offering in a way to have in a cradle decree that it even was intended. And honestly, we see it so many times and probably from all the people here at the Christian Embassy, David van der Waal can testify to that, that people sometimes give the little that they can give to the Christian Embassy 
And we have seen so many times how the Lord was multiplying it and increasing the impact beyond what we ever could have estimated and have, have thought. And there is a principle in the Bible, in particular with the first fruit, that you give it to the Lord, even though it might be a meager offering. It might be the best of what you can do, but you might tell yourself, it's not much what I can do, but the Lord can use it. He can multiply it. He can impact more people than we can imagine. We have seen this, um, just as I talk about it, we have to think about our home for Holocaust survivors in Haifa. Now, there are many old people homes in Israel. And when we talk to government officials and people who are running those houses, they are telling us that such a house needs X amount of millions of dollars every year to take care for people like that in, who are elderly, who are needy, who need special care, etc. And uh, the money that we can give to them, it is a substantial sum, but it's by no means comparable to anything that you see in some of those big government and state-funded houses in Israel. But even as I've been there a few weeks ago again, was the first meeting after COVID-19 allowed us to meet with the uh, residents of the house. I was so blessed to see one after the other coming to me with tears in their house and in their eyes telling me that this place is for them a house which they could have never dreamed to be in a house like that. It has become their family. They receive everything what they need for their life. And I had to give thanks to the Lord that the little gifts that we were able to do there, he multiplied it in such an incredible way to bless so many people. And this is something that is um, a part of the first fruit offering according to the story of Elisha. Now in Exodus chapter 22, verse 29, um, there is another level of first fruits. And this is a very important one to understand. Uh, Exodus chapter 22, verse 29, if you have your Bible um, uh, with you, you shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your, with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. Uh, the Lord says this first fruit principle, this does not apply only to the plants and to the fruits and to the trees and to the barley, but he says this applies also to the animal life and even to your children. The animals, he says, it's very simple. Whenever a cow or a sheep or any animal that you have will bring the first the firstborn uh, to your herd and they will bring forth the first first child god says this firstling belongs to me you shall bring it to me into the temple and you shall, shall sacrifice it to me and then it says also quite interestingly also the firstborn of your family belongs to me and we will shall see in a minute, this is a, a principle that is very much ingrained into the whole story of Passover. 
the whole concept of the first first born. We have seen before. I show. I, I told you, and we will read the passage in a minute that the first born represents the entire. The first fruit represents the entire harvest. So, in a way, as a parent and as a family, if you dedicate the first firstborn of your family to the Lord. What you are doing is says you dedicate your whole family to the Lord and you say, Lord, we as a family, like Joshua said, we want to serve the Lord. And um, the Lord told Israel, he says, all your firstborn is mine. And of course, they didn't could they could not and they got uh, even forbid it that there was, should not be a human sacrifice. So what did Israel do? God says, told them, he says, within the people of Israel, there is one particular tribe, and I will take that tribe to me as a personal possession. And that was the tribe of Levi. And you can read this later on in the, in the book of Numbers, chapter 3, verse 40, and in other passages where God says, this tribe represents all the firstborn of this nation and they are there to dedicate to serve me and to be there uh, at my disposal to serve me in the temple in jerusalem so that means it does not only apply to the fruits but it represents also to our families to our children that we are to dedicate before the lord and then in romans 11 verse 16 i want to read you one more principle in regard to the uh, uh, into the, the 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 firstborn, Romans 11 speaks about uh, the principle, and we come to the application uh, in a few minutes. But it's an important uh, principle. Romans 11 verse 16, he says, "If the Tao offered as first fruits is holy, so the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so also the branches." What Paul is saying here. And he's applying a rabbinical concept here. He says, if you bring the first fruit to the Lord, you are in a way bringing everything that you have to the Lord. You recognize to the Lord that everything you have is given to you by the Lord and you are willing to return it back and you are willing to bless the Lord in return. Again, if the Tao offered as first fruit is, is holy, so is the whole lamb. That means the first fruit in a way blesses the entire harvest then by bringing the first fruit on that first weekday during the passover week in the temple waving the the sheaves before the lord they were sacrificing in a way the entire harvest dedicating the entire harvest uh, to the lord uh, jewish tradition tells us that when people went into the temple uh, to bring the offering of the first fruit. There were two things that were taking place. Number one, it was the giving of the first fruits to the Lord. In the rabbinical literature, it's actually not a biblical teaching, but the, the, the Talmud is teaching this to the people. There is a whole chapter called Bikurim. Bikurim means that it's the Hebrew word for the first fruits. There is an entire chapter dedicated to the Bikurim, the first fruits in the Talmud. 
and it says uh, a good gift on the on the first throw day would be two percent of your possession to the lord it says if you are generous you give one percent if two percent and if you are a little bit stingy i said it should be at least 1.5 percent of your possession it's quite interesting how detailed the talmud is again this is not a biblical teaching this is something that the jewish people bring uh, the jewish people teach in their in their traditions doesn't apply of course to us and secondly he says by bringing the gift to the lord he says it's a recognition that everything we have is a gift from god and there were certain prayers and certain psalms that were singing and reciting in the temple as they were sacrificing that again as i said to dedicate everything what they have under the lordship of the lord recognizing that everything that we have our health our possession our fields our families they are a gift of the lord and with our first fruits we recognize that and we honor god with our possessions and with the first fruits now there are some additional principles that are not really related necessarily to the temple uh, sacrifices that I would like to share with you. And this is that um, um, when Abel was offering his sacrifice to the Lord, it's quite interesting in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, we read about the sacrifice of Abel. It says here, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And uh, I actually start reading from verse 3. And in the course of time, Cain brought um, to the Lord an offering of the fruit of his fields. But Abel brought of the firstborn of the flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. And you might ask yourself, why was Abel's sacrifice accepted? And why didn't the Lord accept the offering of Cain? And I believe here we can read a key why God looked and regarded on the sacrifice of, Cain, of, of Abel. And I don't believe it was necessarily that it was a live animal that was slaughtered for the Lord, but it was had more to do with the quality of the sacrifice that Abel brought. We have seen before from scriptures that Abel, that uh, the first fruits represent the best that we can give to God. And Abel, what he was doing, it says he took from the fat the first fruits of his, of his flock and he gave it to the Lord. That means Abel gave, gave a sacrifice that was the best possible gift that he could, could give to the Lord. And the Lord looked upon it and he says, I like this guy. He's willing to follow me and to serve me with all of his heart. Of Cain, he said, he just gave something from what he had. And maybe, you know, this is, uh, I'm reminding as I'm speaking on the prophet of Malachi, where the, where the prophet declares to the people, he says, you are um, treating my, <coughs> you treating my table with disrespect. And the people ask, how do we disrespect your table? He says, because you are bringing sacrifice that are second and third, third grade quality gifts. You wouldn't give to your kings and to your princes the gifts that you bring to the temple. 
but the Lord is asking us to bring our best to him, and then he will bless it, he will multiply it, and the Lord will see that. And that was the gift that, that Abel was bringing. Um, in Egypt, we read in chapter 11 that God was striking the firstborn of Egypt. Now think about the principle. This is Exodus chapter 11, verse 4. It was striking all the firstborn born of Egypt and he made it clear it's the first fruit of the Pharaoh's house down to the slave's house everybody will affected by the judgment of God and what does it mean we have just learned from Romans 11 verse 16 that the firstborn the first fruits represents the whole lot and in a way what God was declaring by judging the first fruit says every one of you in Egypt you are under the judgment of God and you deserve to be judged because of, of your sinfulness. At the same time, God told Israel in Exodus chapter 13 verse 1 and later on in 11, he says, but for you Israel, all your firstborn belongs to me. That means in a way it shows you as a human being, you have two choices. Either you are serving the Lord with everything that you have. You give your everything to the Lord and you give representative of that, your first fruit to the Lord, telling him that everything you have is at the Lord's disposal. And if you do so, his blessing will rest upon your life. Or if you do not, then your, house, your whole house or the whole nation will be under the judgment of God. And in many ways, this is the message also of the cross of, of, uh, on Passover. You can see the judgment of God on the person of Jesus for every sinner of this world. And there is an incredible symbolism here also in the first fruit that represents that the lostness of human mankind, but also the willingness to redeem a people for himself uh, to the Lord. One last um, uh, comment I want to make also, this uh, the first road is important for a family uh, where he says, don't despise your first firstborn in the family. Quite interestingly, in biblical times, the Lord told them that they deserve the double portion from the other children. But now let's look at the, at the New Testament. And with this, I would like to come to a conclusion. And I want to uh, establish the connection to Resurrection Sunday, which was the first day of the week. If you go to, um, we have read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus is the first born of the dead. And uh, let's go back to that passage because it teaches us an important principle that we can apply that we have just learned a few moments ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One second, I have it here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, if you are uh, entering into the holiday season of uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday, in some countries you also have Resurrection Monday, um, I do encourage you all that you... Um, I encourage you all that you read the entire chapter 15, but it says here in chapter 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstborn of those who have fallen asleep. But each will be resurrected, verse 23, in his own order. Christ the first fruit, and then 
all his at his coming all those who belong to christ and then in verse 13 also he says but if there is no resurrection of the dead then christ has not been raised and if christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and, and our faith is futile because if Christ is not raised, he makes the point that none of us will be resurrected. And what you see here, and this is the principle of the first fruit that we have seen before, is that Jesus as the first fruit was not only uh, resurrected on that very day when the sacrifice was being brought in the temple, but in a very real sense, he is the first fruit of many, many, many million of people around the world which will not taste that because of what Jesus accomplished for us on that Resurrection Sunday. Jesus, when he rose on that Resurrection Sunday, he, in a way we can say, represented the entire harvest of the kingdom of God and purchased us and liberated us from the sting of death and from the curse of death that we might have eternal life forever, ever. And that's why it is so important to understand this principle of the first fruit, because it was not just Jesus who died on the, on the, uh, who, who rose from the dead on that resurrection Sunday, on the first day of the week, but by him doing that, uh, he in a way represented each one of our lives. If we put our faith in Yeshua, he says, you can also enjoy eternal life because I purchased it for you as the first fruit of the dead. And this principle is uh, taught to us by quite a number of passages. And for time's sake, I'm going to read only uh, two of them to you. One is in the book of Colossians where we read in Colossians 1 verse 15. It's a very powerful passage. It speaks about Jesus, the preeminence of Jesus. And he says here uh, in verse 15, uh, uh, yes, he is the image of the invisible God, First uh, Colossians, sorry, Colossians 1 verse 15. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, this is an important point. We don't have too much time to go into that, but it doesn't only put it in context of resurrection, but he says he is the firstborn. He has the preeminence over all of creation. Everything that ever was created, Christ is the firstborn of it. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, invisible and visible. And then I would continue read in, in, in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have the preeminence. He is the firstborn of the dead. And this is a very important point. Remember what I told you about Passover and the, the firstborn of Israel, of Egypt being condemned to death. And we said by that, in a way, the entire nation was condemned to death. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we read a very important statement that is important for all of us to understand. Paul says here about the church in Galatia, you were dead in the trespasses of sins. That means, Paul says, every person that is a sinner, that doesn't walk according to the, to the purposes of God over his life, 
he is dead in his sins. That means, in a way, he might be still living in his bodies, but spiritually he died. That means one day when he will face death and he leaves this world, there is no hope of resurrection for him, but there is eternal damnation waiting for that person. And that's what Jesus said. You once were dead in the, in the trespasses of your sins. But then he says in verse 5, even as we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and you have been raised up with him. And he has seated us in heavenly places. That means what happened on that resurrection Sunday, when so to speak Jesus as the firstborn was waved before the presence of the Father. Not only he was raised, but you also have been raised with him. And he says, and he took you with him before the throne of God and seated you in heavenly places. That means your life is now living to God. And that means we are also called to live as the first fruits to the Lord, dedicating everything that we have to him because he redeemed us from the fear of death. And let me bring this to a conclusion uh, to you. There is much more I could share about that. But um, I want to just share with you something about, about my own uh, experience in my own life. I was, many of you know, um, five years ago, uh, I was laying in a hospital in Germany and uh, I was undergoing a surgery where the doctors, they told me quite in the face that there is not a great hope and a chance for me to come out alive. And I had this Democles sword of death for quite a number of weeks when I ever heard my first diagnosis at the end of November all the way to January, I knew according to the doctors, I have an extremely high probability of, of death and a very low probability of surviving this disease. And I remember laying there on the hospital bed when I woke up from the surgery and the doctors told me, they said, Jürgen, we do not know uh, if you will make it out. My All my inner organs, they shut down. I was in intensive care uh, unit at that time. They told my wife and they didn't give her much hope for my soul, but so, survival. I experienced maybe for the first time in my life laying there literally on the deathbed, not knowing if I would make it to the next day. I felt the peace of God in a reality that I cannot describe it to you. I knew with absolute certainty in my heart, if I would die, die today, I knew a hundred percent where I was going to. Because I knew Jesus as the firstborn of resurrection, he purchased my resurrection. I knew if I would die in this hospital bed in Dresden, I would be with the Lord for all eternity. And honestly, there was something in my heart that was looking forward to that. But for, on behalf of my family, I pleaded with the Lord. He says, Lord, they still need their father. They still need their, their husband. Keep me alive for their sake. But I cannot tell you how real it was that I knew that the sting of death was taken away because Christ, as the firstborn, he was resurrected on that first weekday in this Easter week 2,000 years ago here in Jerusalem. And because of that, Everybody who turns to him and says, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I want to dedicate everything that I have to you. And I want you to be the master of my life. 
the sting of death will be taken away and we can be a full assurance of eternal life. So summing up the, the feast of the first, firstborn or the first fruit, it is a feast of dedication where the Lord is calling each one of us to dedicate everything to the Lord and to say, Lord, I'm giving you my best and you have given your everything, you have paid the ultimate price on Calvary for my salvation, therefore I'm giving you the best that I can and serve you with all that I have. And this can be in your workplace, this can be in your families, this can be if you are a minister in your ministry, this can be everywhere where you can dedicate whatever you are doing to us, to the Lord. And secondly, it reminds us that it is Jesus who was the firstborn of us, that he purchased an eternal salvation that allows us that we will have the same resurrection like he ex experienced. He is the firstborn among many brethren, it's called in the book of Hebrews. And we can join in this incredible crowd of people from every tribe and every nation where we know our sins are forgiven and that we have a place for eternity and lastly i didn't speak much about that but in ephesians chapter one uh, the word of god tells us also that he has given us the first fruit of the holy spirit and what that means in the book of ephesians paul prays about the church he says lord open the eyes of the church that they understand the immeasurable power that is dwelling within them. And he says it was this power that rose Jesus from the dead on this first day of the week, on this Resurrection Sunday, that they understand the same resurrection power is dwelling right within us. It's not just something that is pointing to the future, but it's the overcoming power that the Holy Spirit is depositing in our lives that we can be overcomer and even more than overcomers in the life that we are living here on earth. So the feast of, of first fruit, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, the first fruit of uh, the resurrection of Jesus in our own lives as a first fruit for the Lord is a wonderful festival. And I pray that the Lord will bless you at this Easter celebration. Father, I do ask you for everybody who listened to this world, Father, I ask you first of all that you help us to make a decision to dedicate our families, to dedicate our possessions, to dedicate our talents, everything that we have that we say, Lord, it is yours. We have it from you and we will return it back to you and honor you with the best of what we can do. Secondly, we want to thank you that you are the firstborn from the dead and that with you, we will have the hope of resurrection. We thank you that you died in order that we do not have to taste death and that you rose from the dead and you have seated us already now at the right hand of the Father and we thank you for that great salvation and we thank you for the Spirit of God, the power of resurrection that dwells within us. Fill us afresh even over these Easter holidays in the wonderful and mighty name of Yeshua I pray. Amen. Now this David was a little bit longer than I anticipated but I actually cut it short because there were so many passages I wanted to read you, but I, 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 uh, the time was not enough for that. Amen. But yeah, um, thank you so much, Jürgen. This was um, an excellent and wonderful um, teaching. And maybe one day we can uh, continue with the part two. You can share all those rest um, of those verses. <laughs>
But um, yeah, this is just a great reminder us, Jürgen, and thank you so much. I think this is very appropriate that we, again, especially this time, just dedicate ourselves once again, bringing the best that we are and have, our first fruits to God and dedicate it to Him. And also, you know, that's our greatest hope is that we will um, rise with Christ and have eternal life. I think we should especially remember that during this epidemic and at this um, uh, Passover, to remember that great hope that we have in God um, with his resurrection. And Jesus is the first fruits of God, the perfect Lamb of God. And um, yeah, we just thank you for that, Jürgen. That was a great reminder and a great teaching. I don't see any um, questions from anybody. so I guess that was a perfect teaching. <laughs> and um, well, well, yeah, thank all, you so all much. All they have been yeah. falling asleep. You never know. <laughs> Amen. Well, at least I will be resurrected on Sunday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, we can bring it then to a close. Um, thank you so much, Jürgen. And for those that are still watching us, remember again, we have the Passion Week and there are more se- um, teaching series coming. Um, today, Friday, and also Sunday, and um, please join us on YouTube. Those are a great blessing for us. And if you again, if you want to know more about us, um, just go to igj.org. And most important, next week, Thursday, 4 p.m. Israel time, we'll be once again ready with an IGJ webinar for you. And don't forget also the global prayer meeting on Wednesday at 4 o'clock Amen. that we have. So thank you. And Jürgen, if you have anything else you want to say, then... Um, you can, otherwise we'll close the webinar. No, there is not much to say, but uh, yeah, we all want to wish you a very happy holiday. Of course, tomorrow it's a time of introspection where we remember the suffering of the Lord and his death and, uh, and suffering uh, for each one of us. But of course, on Sunday morning, unfortunately, we normally we go as you always also did when you were in Jerusalem, David, uh, uh, we usually usually go into the garden tomb for a resurrection sunrise service. You can do that. But I believe if you check out the garden tomb website, there might be a live stream on resurrection Sunday in the morning where you can watch a, a service. I believe it's done by King of Kings congregation plus uh, two, three other congregations in Jerusalem. So there is a way how you can uh, participate in all that. And of course, also our Passion Week series that will uh, bring you to uh, some of those locations. Oh, excellent. Thank you, Jürgen. And thank you for everybody joining us from around the world. Bless you and have a wonderful um, um, uh, Passover and, and Easter weekend as we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So blessings to everybody. Shalom and see you next week. God bless you. God bless you. I want to invite you to join us for a very special Passion Week program. We will take you to the very last days of Jesus here in Jerusalem. You will be joining us on the Mount of Olives where Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem. We will take you to Gethsemane where Jesus was interceding with the Father. And then we will take you to Herod's palace where Jesus was tried. We will come here close to this area where Jesus died for the sins of the world. And then we will finish here at the garden tomb 
where Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered death forever. It will be an exciting program. You don't want to miss it. I look forward to seeing you.